0: I want to invite you to join in that ancient Easter greeting that Christians have been sharing from generation to generation. It begins, Christ is risen, and you respond, Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Please be seated. Good morning and welcome to worship on this Easter morning at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor here. If you're joining us on our live stream online this morning, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being in worship, uh, being in worship with us as well. Uh, Right now, I want to say a word of prayer as we begin and continue to worship God. Oh God of, of, of new hopes and resurrection, I give you thanks this day for your life and your love. My, my prayer is for each one who is here and who is online that You will bless them in their hearts. That You will open hearts as, as You opened new life in Your Son, Jesus the Christ, so that, so that each one may experience Your love and Your purpose this, this Easter day. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Today, I, I just want to say a special word of celebration for all those on our tech team. I, I said it at the very beginning, but we've we, over the past few days, we've had a, a lot of people that have been working together to, to help get our services online. We have both services that are going to be online today, and calling audibles when our technology doesn't work out quite right and, and really being able to troubleshoot and get things together so that we continue to to worship God and and I do want to just say a special word of thanks for all those and it really makes a, a, a huge difference I mean it helps you and I to be able to to worship God and and to sing when we can see see the words on the screens but but also uh, one of the one of the, one of our, our members who who isn't able to come to church on a regular basis but they they join by by live stream and and they shared with me back up before before Christmas that it just felt like, when we did our Christmas services, they said it felt like we were at church. It felt like we were really there by being able to worship even from their own home. And so it makes such a big difference. And, and I just give God thanks and give thanks to each one who volunteers of their time to help do this. If you, wanted, if you want to help, if you think that you could perhaps help or want to learn how to help, I know that we're always able to, to plug new people in and, and help grow grow that ministry. We've got some growth opportunities to be able to, to stream even more from the sanctuary, but it takes people. And so if that's something that you're interested in, I want to invite you to, to talk with me or talk to Chris or, or somebody else that helps with our technology here at the church. And, and if you want to continue to support ministry like this that, that really helps people connect in, in ways beyond just coming to church on Sunday morning, you can do so by, by continuing to give generously to the ministry of God here at Kern Church. You can always give online at kernchurch.org, and you can give this day as we have an opportunity to give through our morning tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you for those that give of themselves to help Your message of love and grace be shared with those who, uh, who aren't able to be here in person and those that are, that are new and just trying to, to find out what You're about and, and what Your love may have for them. As we, as we participate in this offering today, O oh God, may Your Spirit be blessed. May You bless those who give and those who give throughout the week online. Give this all to You in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you know anyone, or have you met anyone that really tells like really good stories? You know someone that that you could just listen to, just talk and talk and talk and tell story after story after story one of my my best friends is one of these people we We met in graduate school and and I remember being at his house when we were at, we were in school together and and I mean it would be like two o 'clock in the morning before i could before I could like let me get him to let me leave his house because he kept telling me all these stories, and they were crazy stories he had lived in moscow before and in different parts of the world and and been all over the place and and he had some of the, the absolute craziest stories and they were always like really really good stories now because we've known each other for so long i know that i feature in some of these stories so there's there's that to be told as well but he can turn anything in a story whether it was meant to be a story in the first place or not Compared to my friend, I feel as if I'm just not a very good storyteller. What will usually happen is, is I think I've got a really good story to tell. And I, and I know that you're going to want to hear this story. And, and so I'll, I'll start telling the story and, and then I'll go sit down. Because for me, the story is over. But I haven't given the clue to my hearers that the story has come to a conclusion and, and everybody's just kind of waiting for the punchline of the joke or the punchline of the story. And I'm like, oh, sorry, the story's over. That's, that's, that's it. Maybe, maybe you found yourself somewhere somewhere in between those, being really good at telling stories or just kind of telling stories to where it comes to an awkward end. I mean, these days... It seems as if everybody has a story to tell. The internet has especially helped this and, and 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 especially social media has given everyone a platform to tell stories. This is even more true with, with platforms like TikTok and then reels and stories on Facebook and Instagram. I realize that that um, since I'm old, that TikTok, I get to view TikTok videos like three weeks later when they're on Facebook. And for like younger people, you understand what that means, but um, and, and and you know, like you, they're not they're not trending anymore. But for me, they're they're funny. But people tell all kinds of stories this way. They, they tell all kinds of stories this way, and on top of telling stories, oftentimes what people are trying to do in these short video formats is to try to sell you something that's going to change your life, and they do it by manufacturing their own story about how this thing has changed, changed their life. Or others are trying to, to get you to believe in their latest conspiracy theory about how the earth is flat. The Moon is hollow, and that there are extrater- extraterrestrials are really these beings that live beyond Antarctica in a uh, land that's extraterrestrial. Have um, confessed, I watched those videos. <laughs> so, <laughs> there, there's, These are actual videos. Um, anyways, but while some of these stories uh, try to get you to, to believe dubious claims, stories are important. Stories are, are, are what? One of the things that make us human. From the beginning of time, humans sat around fires telling stories about their, their, the latest thing that's happened, telling stories about how they came into being, telling stories about, about their grandparents and, and the things that, that has happened to them through, through the ages. And today, today is Easter, and today is, is a time when, when Christians, when people that follow after the way of Jesus, that, that we tell our own stories. That, that you are invited to hear the story of Easter. It's the time when the, when the Christian church recalls and remembers and retells the ultimate story that was ever told. The story of the best hope that was ever given. And, and this story that, that God that God tells us at Easter is a story that was first told by a woman. It was first told by a woman. And and, and the thing is, it is God's story. And when you believe God's story, God then invites that story to become your own story. When you believe God's story, God's story becomes your own story. And that's the best kind of story ever. You see, what happened is that Jesus was this powerful teacher and and miracle worker during his day, and he was traveling around telling other people about the kingdom of God, and and he would do miracles. He would heal people who were sick and, and bring hope and light to all people around. But the problem was, is that he ran up against some really stiff opposition. Jesus ran up against the power authorities of his day, the power structure of his day. And ultimately, Jesus running up against the power structure of his day caused and, and led to him being killed, being executed by, by the state. And those that were closest to Jesus, his, his disciples, people that were called his disciples, after his death, I mean, they faced a stark reality They knew that that Jesus was this guy who had been sent by God to save all of humanity. They had invested their life in this. They had had sold out. They had given up careers to travel around and to to see the things that Jesus did, to, to help share the good news of Jesus Christ. But now, he's been killed. He's no longer with them. And his body was placed in a tomb. And to this reality, they are forced to make a decision. They are forced to make a decision. And and not only is is this decision about somebody they thought was the Messiah, somebody they thought was here to save all of humanity, not only is this decision about a Messiah that was dead, but Jesus was killed in a way that their belief system said was cursed. So these people grew up, and they were Jewish, and Jesus was Jewish, and they grew up in in the Jewish faith, and and as Jewish people, they had this belief from from the book of Deuteronomy, if you know about these these early books of the Bible, that that anyone who was killed and died upon a tree was cursed. So, So the stories that they had learned from childhood said, if someone dies on a tree, they are cursed. Well, here's their Messiah. Here's their king. Here's the one that they knew was going to save everyone and restore hope and prosperity to their people. And here he is, killed on a tree. Hung on a cross. God's kingdom cannot come into being through one who is cursed. This is what their stories growing up tell them. But yet... But yet they they realize that something has changed in their hearts. And their whole world has changed. And and I don't think they yet know what to do and and how to respond to this life-altering crisis of, of their hope and of their salvation, dying on a tree. But they're struggling. The story that they live through Jesus comes into direct conflict with the stories that they had then been told their whole life. And this is what brings us to Easter today. This is where we pick up the story. And and the story that we're looking at today is written by one of Jesus' followers, a guy by the name of John. Tradition tells us that John was with Jesus and that John went on to write about these encounters with Jesus You see, John was one of Jesus' closest followers, and and this account that that I'm going to be reading from today is something that tradition says John wrote. And here John tells us that that those who were closest to Jesus have have an additional experience. They had the experience when Jesus was alive, they had the experience of, of when Jesus died, but John tells us that they had an additional experience. And this new experience, this additional experience will force them again to react and figure out what God's story is and what God's story for them is. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, I'm going to be looking at John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, where you find these words, early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene. Now Mary Magdalene was another one of Jesus's followers. Um, she, was, she was one of Jesus's closest followers. So Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Have you ever gone to the gravesite after a funeral to, to visit a loved one or to, to lay flowers on a grave? That's what Mary's doing here. But when she gets there, she finds that a stone that was in front of the grave had been rolled away. Then she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and and, and we don't know where they've put him. So one of Jesus' followers, Mary Magdalene, comes to the tomb in in, in the very early morning and, and she's doing the things that people do following the death of the loved one. But when she gets here, she realizes that the tomb is open and that the tomb is empty. And her initial reaction is one of of shock and horror and sadness. I mean, think about what would happen if you went to the grave of a loved one and it was dug open and there was a casket laying there wide open with no body in there. I mean, your first reaction is not, oh, that person must be alive. Your first reaction is what Mary's reaction was. Somebody has stolen the body. Someone has been so cruel to add insult to injury and has stolen the body of the one Mary loves. And now Mary knows that she has to go tell, tell someone else's story. She can't hold it all herself. And so she runs to, to where some of Jesus' other followers were staying, Peter and this other disciple. And in a voice that I imagine sounds quite defeated, she says, you know, they've taken, they've taken the Lord from the tomb. And we don't know where they've put him. We pick it up in verse 3, that Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. And following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there, and he also saw the face cloth that Jesus that had been on Jesus' head, it wasn't with the other clothes, but it was folded up in its own place. And then the other disciple, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. In verse eleven we read though, that Mary stood outside near the tomb crying here we we encounter two more and their own stories their own stories of their encounter with the story that is unfolding right before them with this empty tomb first we have the other disciple the beloved disciple the one whom Jesus loved just as a hint many think this is John talking about himself so like if you ever you know talk about oh I'm you know send your mom a, a you know, Mother's Day card and said, from your favorite child. That's kind of like what Mary or John is doing here. I'm the one Jesus really loves, okay? And and so a little conceited, I guess. But but as soon as as this other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, hears the news that, that Mary delivers. He just jumps up and starts racing to the tomb. He just starts he just starts running, and John makes it clear that he's faster than Peter, you know, never, like this fishing stories, right? Like you know, I caught the bigger fish. I'm faster than Peter. I run. Fa- I mean, our, our, our kids, my kids do this. they, they bicker and say, "Who's faster, who is slower?" and all this kind of stuff. And so he was the, the first one to a, arrive at the tomb, and and this is the disciple that John tells us is always at Jesus' side even to the very end. So of course he wants to see what's going on. Of course he wants to know what happens. He doesn't yet fully understand the story about what the empty tomb means, but he believes. He believes that something good and different is happening here, something that will change the story perhaps forever. Maybe you know someone like this. Someone who's always looking for opportunities in, in emerging situations. Someone who, who might be face up against a, a brick wall, and but instead of being defeated, she sees that the brick wall has a ladder kind of up against it, and, and so she's like, well, I, can, I see a ladder, I can, I can go ahead and, and climb up this ladder and see what is over this wall. Someone that is so full of optimism that things are going to work out and things are going to be good, and someone that might look at the same facts as you or as I, but... But even though you don't see it, they can point to the goodness and to the opportunities that God has to use the situation for good. So, so that's, that's what the, the, the beloved disciple has going on. The, the beloved disciple doesn't know what all this means but he knows that it means something good. It means that his life story won't have to be made by his Savior being hung and killed on a tree, but instead he will be able to respond to a story that says the tomb is empty, that the grave is empty, to the story that that God has power even over death. Those are this optimism. I, I think they help the rest of us, they helped me see the possibility and the power of God, the promise of hope in the future that God really does desire. And then we have Peter. And Peter runs, but not with quite the same enthusiasm as the other guy. And if you know Peter's story, you know that he's just messed up. In fact, he's just denied Jesus. He's just like went astray and forgotten the whole situation. And so today he runs from the, to the tomb But for the past few days, he spent running away from Jesus. He denied Jesus. He ran from the cross. He tried to get as far away from Jesus as he could to ensure that he wouldn't end up on the cross next to him. So we really don't know why Peter has this burst of energy. Maybe he's jealous and wants to prove that he loved Jesus as much as the other guy. Or maybe he's got this guilty feeling in the pit of his stomach and, and he just wants to run. And that maybe if Jesus is alive, that, that he can ask for forgiveness and reconcile this relationship. Maybe he has this hint that, that when he, he remembers something Jesus said about rising from the dead, and, and maybe he thinks that maybe it, it actually could be true. But, but Peter and this other disciple... They both interpret the story of what's going on and what's happening with this empty grave, and then they go home. They leave. Mary, though, stays. And, and what I just read, it says that Mary stayed behind crying. She's just standing outside the tomb. She's crying. She's tore up because someone has, has robbed the grave of someone she loves, and, and, and something even though that, that, that I know because I've read this and perhaps you have an idea because many of you have read this, something is about the change. Mary doesn't know it yet. But something is about the change in Mary's story too. Let's take a look at verse 11 again. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she cried, she bent down to look inside the tomb. Then in verse 12 we read that she saw two angels dressed in white seated where the body of Jesus had been. One at the head and one at the foot. And the angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Why? Why are you crying? She replied, Well, they've taken my, well, my Lord away. They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. And, and as soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who, who are you looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Lord, or sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will, I will go and get him. And Jesus said, Mary. And at this, she turned around and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Here we have Mary. She sews up to the tomb when the men have scattered and gone home. Her story is so overcome with grief that she doesn't expect anything to happen. She just wants to come there and mourn, mourn the death of her friend and teacher in peace. I mean, her grief is so acute that she can't even think clearly. Have you been here? Have you been to this place? Jesus even speaks to her and she thinks it's the gardener coming to tend to the landscaping. And then Jesus speaks her name. Jesus says, Mary. Mary. And when Jesus speaks her name, this is the point that she realizes that this is not the gardener, that instead something truly miraculous has happened, and that this is Jesus speaking to her. Why is it that Jesus didn't appear to the the other disciples? Why isn't it that Jesus didn't appear to Peter or to the one that he loved? I mean, both of them surely would have loved to have seen Jesus, right? Both of them, uh, you know, they had this slight, um, uh, at least a little bit of moderate optimism as they ran to the tomb of Jesus that he might have risen from the dead or that something new might be happening here. But Jesus doesn't appear to them, at least not, at least not yet. And I don't have the answer as to, to why Jesus appeared at this time to Mary and not to the other, others who came searching for him. But I have to say, I'm glad it happened this way. I'm glad it happened this way. When I think about the the responses to that Easter event, the first two, they had their own agenda. They had their own stories that they were working on. and It wasn't a a bad agenda necessarily. The the beloved disciple was ready for reunification. He was ready for something good to happen. And Peter, perhaps he was wanting to to, to get his guilt off his chest and was wanting to to have, have some type of forgiveness But it probably, but but in the midst of this, they both had the own things that they took to the tomb with them, their own stories, their own pain, their own hopes that they took there. But Mary was the only one that arrived at the tomb who had no agenda. She had no agenda other than her grief at the grave. She was just sad. She was just sad. And because she didn't have her own desires or her own agenda or her own expectations, she was able to believe God's Easter story so that it could become her own story. When you believe God's story, it becomes your own story. And that's the best kind of story ever. And what comes next is that Jesus then commissions her to preach. Jesus commissions her to preach and and, and to receive God's story to make it her own, and then to share it with others, to share the good news of the resurrection with her brothers and her sisters. And Mary listens to Jesus. Mary believed Jesus's story, and it became her own story. And then this is how John writes what what Jesus told Mary to do. In verse 17, Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me, for I haven't gone up to my Father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them that I'm going up to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And then she told them what He said to her. Jesus appears to Mary with the best story ever. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. And in fact, the death that Jesus died and, and the body that, that, Jesus, or that Mary had feared had been stolen is not the end. The old story of death is, is not the new story of God. It's not the story that Jesus has for Mary. And Mary listened to Jesus. And Jesus told her, you are the one I want to tell my story. You are the one who I want to preach my story. You are the one I've appointed to go and to tell others about my story, Jesus says. Mary, go and tell the sisters and brothers the story of what's happened here. And so Mary leaves and tell the story she does. She runs back to the other disciples and tells them what's happened. She tells her story, that she has seen the Lord, that He walked with her and talked with her in the garden. The story that Jesus lives. Mary is the first appointed to share the good news of of Easter. The story that Jesus is no longer dead, but that He is alive. You know, stories are meant to be heard. And usually, stories are meant to elicit some type of of reaction on the part of the hearer. And this is a story of an experience that really does demand a reaction. And here's the thing, to those that Mary told this to, uh, they, they required an a, a reaction was required on their part. And when Mary told this story, some began to believe as soon as she told it. Some began to believe and God's story became their story. But then others at the time weren't really sure about this thing Mary said. And so it took them a little bit longer to even believe. But it was Jesus who gave Mary the story to tell in the first place. And this gives you the opportunity. This gives you the opportunity to respond to the story as well. How do you respond to the story that Mary tells? How do you respond to to an empty grave where there's supposed to be the smell of death? How do you respond to a Savior that offers to walk with you, speak with you, and even say your name? My hope, my hope is that perhaps you can respond as many who have come before you have responded. You can respond as many who have come before you have responded and take the good news. Believe it in your heart and allow God's story to become your own story and then to share that story. And that's the thing that happens. You see, if you believe the story that, that Mary is telling, or or when you believe the story that Mary is tale, telling Jesus will become your own story. And, and this happens with every follower of Jesus. In fact, if you keep reading on what in what John wrote in the, in, in, in the chapters and verses that follow this, if you keep reading on, on in what John wrote, you will learn that, that each one came to believe, and they too had their own story and their own story to tell. And I want you to know that that when you believe, jesus has a story to give you and jesus has a story for you to share because when you believe god's story it becomes your own story and that's the best kind of story ever you know sometimes i think people people don't think their story is even worth telling or even worth hearing perhaps you find yourself in that position like you know you don't know me Uh, My story is rather unremarkable or nobody would really want to hear my story. I don't even know if I have a story after all. But let me tell you, your story is important. Your story is important. When you believe Mary's story, when you believe God's story, it confirms that you too have a story that's worth having and a story that's worth telling. And no matter what stage of life you are in, God is offering to continue to give you a story. To give you a story that's exciting and powerful. So believe the story that Mary is telling you. Receive the story that God wants for you and share it. Share it with those who need a little hope and those that need a story of their own. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the hope of Easter. I thank you that that your story wasn't over at the cross, that your story wasn't over in a grave. I thank you for those who encounter you with open minds like Mary did and and just allow you to speak words of hope to them and, and words of life. And my prayer is that each one who is here, each one who can hear these words, that you will speak words of life to them, words of hope to them you will speak your story of goodness and newness to them, and that to each one it will become their story. That your story will become their story. That your story will become our story. Amen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. May you hallelujah, that's right. May you be blessed this day with all the hope that is Jesus'. May it be forming in you a story of hope and resurrection this very day. Carry this Easter blessing with you all through this day, all through this week. In the name of the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.